study New York Silas, kind of you just off in the back of UFC 290, one of the best cards I've seen in a long ass while. Don't know if that's just recency bias, but do you agree, Christian? Oh yeah, it was it was like the best live viewing experience in a long time, at least. The uh, card was paced fine. Like the pacing is always going to be kind of a, a downside to a card, but the actual fights delivered. The, the if anything the delivery was or the pacing was only bad because of how good the fights were because the fights were ending so quick. Yeah, I mean pacing is always good to be an issue when a card has a ton of first round finishes. Um, I'm generally not big into just tons of first round finishes, but uh, I don't I don't think it really took away from uh, any fights that I wanted to see play out a little longer. So it was cool, made for a fantastically exciting viewing experience. And uh, in the main event, Alexander Volkanovsky. Sean, once again, he is just the fucking man. Uh, just absolutely demolished Yaya Rodriguez, patiently picked him apart, uh, beat him where he was better first, and then beat him where Yaya thought he had a chance and finished him within three rounds. Yeah, the uh, the performance was... From him, he, com- he kind of did something that uh, I think is to be expected from Volk at this point. He's just gonna get fucked up by like a single thing and then just completely adjust. Like he doesn't overadjust; he ex- exactly correctly adjusts to what's happening to him. Uh, he got elbowed like with a minute left or something in the first round, and it cut him. And then he was like, "I'm not going to get cut again. I'm just going to dig my head into his chest and start punching him from over my head." In the second round, he got hit by a pretty clean straight counter as he was trying to get a takedown. He just aided on the chin, finished the takedown, and then uh, in the third round, he didn't really let much get through by Yair. Yair, he had some better ideas. He was getting to his offense a lot more in the second and third. Uh, in the first round, he mostly just got shot out. But in the third round, he was moving his, he was switching stances very well. He was uh, uh, kind of fucking with Yair's sense of range. And then he landed a really nice like step in right hook counter as Yair was throwing a body kick and then he followed up ripped into the body ripped into the head and then shot a takedown and then just kind of went at him until the ref pulled him off of him he has incredibly good finishing instinct for how to maintain being uh, like very technically correct and also uh, kind of gaming the system a bit because the way he fucks people up once he hurts them is equally good at getting the referee to pull you off because you're throwing a bunch of volume and actually damaging so you're going to fuck the person up if the ref doesn't stop it. I mean, Volk is uh, just an analyst stream because I feel like most of the time when we're breaking fights down in advance, it's like, well, yeah, this guy can win this fight if he does all of the things that he should do in the matchup, but you generally can't just like trust MMA fighters to take obvious uh, strategic adjustments to make matchups actually favorable. And then if, and, and then Volt just does it. He just does all the things that, that he needs to do to win the fight. And uh, although, although I said that I didn't expect him to like 
let Yair have his fight just for the sake of beating him there for for the for just like a flex. He still kind of did that at the end. Yeah, I think it was mostly just he he had the reads he felt he needed to actually feel comfortable on the feet, and then once he, he recognized that the the fight was pretty much even on the feet or, or you know training towards Volk, he he just decided I can. I can try and counter him now because he didn't really go for many counters in the early instance of the fight. He he more just like waited for his moment and tried to set up better moments. And also, you know, he cooked him pretty hard on the ground. He he fucked him up a good bit with ground and pound. It um, it it seemed like most of the the tape he was doing for this fight had to revolve around the Frankie Edgar fight and uh, I would say the Korean Zombie fight. Uh, and of course, you know, you, you can't watch the Max Holloway performance without seeing stuff that Vulcan capitalize on. So his his timing looked as sharp as ever. Like, it, it's just something where he, everything we were saying that Volk could do to win, he did. And then he even did some things that we didn't even really touch on. Yeah, I, I agree. It was a lot of um, just... Uh driving Yaya out of the pocket and making him pay for his sloppy exits the way the Korean zombie did. And uh, also just pressuring him to the cage and hitting takedowns and working him from top the way that Frankie Edgar did. And while uh, Yaya's improved pretty dramatically since those fights, uh, Volk's also just better than those guys, so it didn't matter. Uh, to Yaya's credit, he didn't even really um, like overindulge in guard play when he got put on bottom. He was, actually seemed to be fairly urgent about trying to... Uh, trying to make scrambles happen and stop Volk from locking him down. But Volk's just, I mean, he, he was out wrestling Islam Makachev at points of their fight. Like he's just, he's too tight on top to just like let any silly shit happen. He spent a lot of the first two rounds just pushing Yaya back and working him from top like that. He actually started the fight um, by just kind of, walking at Yaya and spamming stance switches so Yaya just couldn't get a read on how he wanted to set up angles for his kicks and it actually just worked and kind of froze Yaya. I expected Yaya to just have a really like quick start and just try and catch Volt cold. Um, as you say, he actually did start putting his offense to- together better later in the fight, but a lot of it was just like how much Volk wanted to fuck around with actually fighting him from long range. I did start, you know, I started to get slightly concerned that Volk was just feeling himself and just, like I say, letting Yaya have his fight a little bit in the third round. Um, But he just wasn't making any, like, exaggerated enough defensive reactions to anything to let Yaya just catch him off guard with some crazy shit. It was a very all the way in or all the way out performance that you'd like to see that he was either just on the end of a range where he could pull out of distance of Yaya's kicks and not have to worry about, is it going to the head? Is it going to the body? Where's it coming from? Because he just wasn't there. Or it was getting inside it, uh, creating collisions where he could work for takedowns. And as you say, that beautiful like shifting right hook counter to Yaya's left body kick that started the finishing sequence. Could have very easily fucked up his approach. Or not him, like, not he could have easily, but generally a fighter could really easily fuck up that approach. Uh, where you're kind of letting your opponent have their game a bit just to make them feel more confident so you can get the takedowns easier. But the way his stance switching was kind of leading itself into kick catches was brilliant. 
Like that's a really smart way to get someone to throw bad kicks to to be able to grab onto him and, and get him down to the ground. He it was a pretty much flawless game plan. I think he implemented it as well as you could hope for someone to implement it. He kept him guessing the entire fight. He didn't really get too stuck on anything. I feel like a lot of fighters in that scenario would have just been diving for takedowns once they recognized how easy the actual fight gets once you get on top of your opponent. Because Yair didn't offer really any resistance in, in the form of attempting submissions. It was mostly just him trying to get elbows off, which he landed a few, but it, it wasn't the type of thing that's going to make folk um, skittish about, uh, about being on top. And... More so, the strength advantage was just very fucking pronounced, uh, as well as a pronounced wrestling advantage. I think Yair could have been much stronger than Volk, and Volk still would have gotten him down with about the same ease. Yair just didn't really—he wasn't really given any opportunities to maneuver around and, and try and get off of the position that he was getting put in. So uh, the actual cage wrestling looked really good by Volk in the first round. He. Once he got the takedown, he started scooting Yair over to the cage to kind of stack him up to make sure that he can't get any offense off or, you know, hit a nice stand-up or anything, which is basically exactly what Frank Yander did. It's just a, a really... It's, it's almost like a cheap tactic because it just works against everyone. Uh, Charles Lavera, anyone... You don't have the space to throw up triangles with your back to the catch. Yeah, and you, you can't, like get the height on elbows or something you want. You can't base up well. You really just have to try and cage wrestle. So if you're going at someone that you're a better cage wrestler, then it's just a really safe situation to try and uh, get them against the fence. It's really only a problem if your opponent is better at getting up whenever they're against the fence, but I don't think that's the case for Yair. I think his uh, ability to scramble up is mostly dependent on like uh, a butterfly hook or you know going for a, a sub and then trying to sweep and then stand up real quick or you know using his leg strength to, to kick off just some kind of really explosive roll or, or just silly shit yeah and it, it really limits your options for scrambling whenever you only have two directions you can go and you can't go backwards and, and pushing your opponent away you can only get so much strength on it if your your neck's like slammed against the corner of a cage but it, it was just a a fantastic fight uh, positioning-wise by Volk, because it was also kind of disrupting Yair's sense of ring craft. He doesn't particularly have good or insistent positioning throughout his fights, but normally relative to his opponent, he's he's pretty alright. Like, he, he doesn't really leave himself hanging too much. He doesn't give too many free angles. But in this one, Volk, his movement was just puzzling Yair. He was moving backwards in situations that he normally would have just thrown he was looking for places that he could kick, but Volk was just always moving, and it was also confusing his shot selection when it comes to, like, body or, or leg. Or, so he couldn't really get, like, the open side kicks that he wanted, and anytime he went for the head kicks, Volk's just, like, surprisingly hard to head kick. You really gotta trick him into it, and he doesn't lean into shit the way that a lot of fighters his height would. He just kind of ducks under it and, like, hunkers down behind his guard, so he would have just had to be pelting power kicks at his head the entire time, and then you're just leaving yourself open to get cracked like he eventually did. So, wonderful performance by Volk. Yair didn't even really do anything bad there. Was, he just got outmatched strategically, and was also... It's just a bad matchup for him, even though he has a lot of potential to win the fight. Like, I still think that he had a good chance to win the fight, even though I've seen the result now. Which just kind of goes to show how 
talented Volk or, or Volk and Yair both are. Because Yair landed some really good offense, but it wasn't you know the type of thing we were expecting. Really, he landed a counter straight as, as Volk's going for a takedown that kind of buzzed Volk, and that was the most he landed. I, I was actually surprised that he, he was able to get his, his hands off at any point. And then in the third round, he started he started the round pretty quick with like a, a really explosive one two, which is nice. But Volk was he just took that as a a sign that he needs to mind his shit more, and then he did so. It's a situation where if you if you don't get the thing that you need to work off effectively enough, then Volk's just going to shut down your thing. In the same way that Max fucked up Volk in their second fight and then didn't land the same success ever again. Even when fighting seven more rounds with him. Or eight more rounds. Volk, I mean, he's, a fucking, he's a genius. He's the most adaptable, or adaptably, like, comfortable fighter in the sport he I can't think of a bad match for him head dead might just be the best fighter we've ever seen <laughs> I think so right after the fight I was like oh this is the best fighter that I've ever watched like including boxing greats great. sending me messages like Duran is a cuck Samar is a cuck <laughs> Petrosian cuck yeah Sugar Robinson whack yeah like all these great fighters they're they're wonderful but Volk is just He's he's just so good. He's he's like a in, insane athlete. But the fact that his chin isn't the best chin I've ever seen before or anything makes me give him a lot more credit for it as well. Because he's navigating certain obstacles while also implementing his offense incredibly effectively. And you know he didn't get a finish on Max Holloway, but or, or you know Makashev, but. Those are really fucking hard to finish fighters, and generally he is actually a finisher. I feel like he doesn't get enough credit as a finisher because he doesn't have, you know, the, like, sparkly record that a, a guy like Conor McGregor has or, you know, Dustin Poirier. Like, people that, whenever they do win emphatically, it's normally a finish. But, I don't know, he finished Yair. He, no, he, D- Dustin Poirier couldn't knock Max Holloway exactly, out either. Exactly, yeah. He, <laughs> he finished Yair, he finished Korean Zombie. Chad Mendez, he, you know, he basically finished Brian Ortega. Yeah, yeah. If he was, if, you know, give him the three more rounds, he would have finished Makashev in in the fifth fight or in the, the well, I guess it felt like the fifth fight in the third fight with Max, he would have eventually killed him if they just kept going. So, oh yeah, if you if you give him another like twenty rounds, he would have just eventually beaten Max Holloway to death. Yeah, so that's what I look for in a finisher. If you're eventually gonna get the finish and it's not like oh you know. He's narrowly getting through these decisions, even though he's fucking them up at points. If you're like, oh, finisher, you don't need to get the finish for people to know that you had the potential for it. Uh, like Charles Oliveira versus uh, Tony Ferguson, an example. You know, it's like, oh yeah, he, he basically he could have finished this guy if he just like went a bit harder. And that's how I felt about a lot of Volk's performances. And it seems like that's just an, uh, like me being overly critical. Uh, who who do you think he should fight next? Next, Depuria? Um, I don't know who else there is at featherweight to really throw in there, and I just wouldn't mind seeing Teporia get a couple more fights first. I agree that he should, but I think that uh, just trajectory wise, I I think they might just give him the title shot off of the last his last fight because Max and uh and Korean Zombie, it's like, yeah, you could give Max another fight with him, and it's always going to be a good fight. Like, he's always going to 
it's always going to be entertaining, and it's still a good win. Like Max is he he didn't look bad at all against Calvin Cater. He he in fact looked wonderful. So it, it just makes you wonder how many times is Max going to end up having to fight Volk before they eventually are just like eh, may, maybe just like assume that Volk would win this one. You know, if if Max does another Calvin Cater performance or something, give him the fight, but. He's probably just going to easily and concisely fuck up Korean zombies. So, yeah, and that's probably and that's just not really going to mean that. Yeah, because Volk you did know, the if, same. Yeah, uh, like Max Holloway. I think there is going to be a point where he's just going to keep repeatedly cementing himself as the number two, and they're going to have no choice but to keep giving him title shots um, until he actually just like loses one of the fights to someone who isn't Volk. And if he does, it'll be because Volk fucked him up so much and probably took years off of his life with them just making him fight him seven more times. Yeah, so... Um, I guess the other thing is if Volk wants to go back up and rematch Makachev. Yeah, I mean, Makachev is, is seeming like he's gonna get like surgery or something and then probably fight someone else before he fights Charles or or Volk. Or I, I know that they're aiming for Makachev fighting in Abu Dhabi, and he, Charles and Volk aren't going to be ready for that fight, so it's he's probably going to have to fight some other contender and then fight Charles and then fight Volk again. So, and that's if Charles doesn't win. They should just like very quickly get uh, get Arnold Allen versus Tapuria so that we can cement a number one contender because not losing to Max is not an indictment. Yeah, well, that was where they fucked up, was giving Arnold Allen the Max Holloway fight. Yeah, that, that was a terrible fight. Yeah, we're just going to keep ending up with this situation. You need to just, like, get other people matchups that can get them title shots without them having to fight Max Holloway, which I get, you know, if you're going to be the champion, you need to be able to beat everyone. It just, like, actually keeps the title picture moving. Yeah, it's something where that, that sounds... Like a good concept, oh, you should be able to beat everyone, but being able to beat both Volkanovski and Max Holloway is a tough test, because basically anyone that could beat Volkanovski, I'd be like, oh yeah, but they probably lose to Max, or anyone that could beat Max, I'd be like, oh yeah, but they lose to Volk. So, it, it would just make the title picture really goofy if someone goes up and, and beats Volk, who's in theory an easier match for them than Max, and Max gets the belt, and then you gotta have Volk fight Max again. It, it just yeah. makes the title fight picture really goofy, the fact that this is like middleweight turned up to 10, where middleweight had the same thing, which we'll get into later, with a, a clear number two contender, or number one contender, and then a, a dominant champion. Well, and Featherweight had it for a while with... Um when Max Holloway was champion and Jose Aldo was just knocking off all the contenders until Volk actually just beat Jose Aldo. Yep, and then ever since then, it's, it's I mean, it's been like, what, four years of no one being able to get a, a, a title shot on pure merit? They have to they have to kind of maneuver around Max or lose to Max and then win so against someone else to actually get a title shot. So I don't know what they do with that whole situation. Um, but anyway, moving on to the co-main event. Absolutely fantastic fight. Uh, Alessandro Pantoja takes the flyweight championship from Brandon Moreno in a pretty fucking close fight. But um, are, are people online saying this is a robbery, Christian? Uh, there is some, but I swear the fight. There's always going to be. Like it, it seems like anyone that is thinking that Pantoja lost, they don't think it's a robbery because 
I don't really see how you can watch that fight and think it's a robbery. It was a a close fight. Like I'm I'm pretty it's pretty rare that I consider a fight close. I'm normally like this, there's an objective winner and then if you want to give it to the other guy then, you know, whatever. But this one I think it's actually close. Like I think I could watch this fight four or five times and score it differently each time. I think it kind of mostly comes down to how you score the third round. Yeah, there was there was a few um, swing yeah, rounds in the fight for me. Cuz really cuz I thought it was a pretty clear Pantoja one and five, a Moreno two and four, and then the third was kind of the toss-up round. I don't remember the uh, like which rounds went to who necessarily. Like when I was scoring it live, because I was just so into it. But I, I think the scoring doesn't really matter. Like I think Pantoja, like it was fair enough that he won the fight. No, I think just you watch the fight, and it's he he deserved to win it. It was fine. First round, I don't almost a 10 8, arguably, because he, he hurt him bad and then was fucking him up with the rest of the exchanges for the fight. And the rest of the round was even. So I, I'm pretty yeah, loose. Like halfway, th- halfway through the second round, I'm thinking, oh, I think Pantoja is gassed already. He's probably going to get finished. Uh, and then he was, he totally was gassed. It just didn't, it just didn't matter. He just had had the dog in him. I mean, he looked gassed to me when he first dropped Moreno. I was like watching a tiny Jacare, dude. I fucking love this guy. He just just saved every ounce of energy that he had for like one huge explosion that we could actually seal him at least moments of the round. Did really good uh, work just backpacking Moreno for long portions of the fight. Um. That was what, what clearly like won him the last round when it was close and he just needed to do what he could to seal the deal. Couldn't finish the choke on Moreno because he's made a ton of improvements, but Pantoja is still just like extremely dangerous. It, um, he's just really fucking consistent about taking the back and he's not going to lose that position once he's got it, even if he can't finish the choke. And uh, I, you know, I thought in the fourth round, even though Moreno got backpacked a turn, he was able to steal it back with like nice fucking elbows that he was landing. But they were both just like pretty fucked up in the fifth round, and Pantoja just like had enough left <laughs> to get one more back taken. The fight kind of cemented something for me uh, that I've mentioned in private before, but like you really only need cardio if you're if you can't just fuck someone up while tired. Like, you, you, cardio is for people that aren't don't have the dog in them enough to really get going wherever they need to. Like the most dangerous fighters you'll ever find are ones that have crazy cardio and an infinite supply of the dog in them. Like you know Max Holloway and Brandon Moreno for large parts of his career. But I feel like Moreno's chin has just degraded enough to where if you can crack him, you can actually keep yourself in the fight with him, even though he has a dramatic cardio advantage against basically everyone. And you know this this pace of fight is gonna make anyone t- tired, including Moreno. Yeah, and Brandon Moreno still has a good chin. He just used to have an absolutely bonkers. Yeah, just used to have an absolutely bonkers chin. He still got hurt several times in that last fight with Pantoja. Like, dude's a fucking huge hair for this weight class. Yeah. Uh, oh, something that was bothering me is the commentary saying, "Oh, well, we learned a lot about Pantoja. You know, seeing how he can deal with." Like adversity, fucking! Did they not watch the Figueroa fight? I knew he was gonna. I you learned that he is built like that, fucking five years ago. Like he is, he is just tough as shit. Like we've known he's tough as shit. He he's really deep into his career. I think he has as many fights or more than Brandon Moreno. 
And they were acting like, oh, we just don't know he's about been his... fighting since fucking 2007. They were acting like they don't know about his championship grit because he's a fucking... Uh, just because he hasn't fought seven fights against Figueredo like Moreno has. Moreno has just fought the same guy 11 times. You know, we know that he's built like that against uh, Figueredo. At, at this point, if with where the division's at, uh, Pantoji is absolutely one of the most hardened vets at 125. Had nothing but tough as shit matchups for a long time. Yeah, I I really... <coughs> I think they, that if you ran this fight again... I, I think that we're probably not going to get a finish until maybe the second or third fight, or, or until the third or fourth fight. So they're they're going to give Moreno a, a rematch immediately, right? Presumably, because they lo- they love. Brandon well, they're not going to give him a fig fight because Fig's fighting at bantamweight now. Maybe it, it changes his mind, knowing that he's beaten the guy that's the champ now. But it shouldn't, because I think Pantoja's just kind of hung in long enough to where he might win the matchup now. Because Fig's chin's also degraded quite a bit, and Pantoja's chin has not re- regressed at all. No, I think Fig has um, regressed a lot more since that fight, and Pantoja, really his only degradation has been to his cardio, and he showed that it doesn't actually really matter that much, <laughs> so... Yeah, he, he did good body work to Moreno, which kind of kept him in the fight cardio-wise, but I, I thought Moreno's jab looked really nice. It was uh, well, just when he, a little one-note. When he was on the back, he was expending less energy just to hold that position than Moreno was to try and escape it. Certainly. Uh, base, also, basically, any exchange that uh, Pantoja wanted to have, Moreno would have with him, whereas Moreno probably could have just kept him at the end of his range with the jab at a certain point, because Pantoja, when he got tired, it's not that he's not going to try his hardest or he's not going to be dangerous in exchanges. It's just that he gets slower, like his feet get slower, and he kind of gets a little bit lazier about his entries. And I feel like that's something that Moreno could capitalize on in a rematch, but I'm not going to like bank on it. You know, I, I think the same fight could happen again, just uh, Pantoja actually cracking his chin hard enough to get a finish or... You know, make it a bit more concise with him just cracking him, then taking the back for the rest of the round. Yeah, it's funny. This is kind of what I was talking about with Volk. Um, in the, you, do I think Brandon Moreno is, you know, has the technical capability to theoretically just uh, kind of style on for Pantoja from long range, uh, keep him on the end of his jab and left high kick and body kicks and stuff, and just outmaneuver Pantoja, make him follow him around and repeatedly set his feet and have to swing and then reset. Um, yeah, that's that's why I picked Brandon Moreno. It's still just not in his temperament to have that kind of fight consistently for five rounds. He just He's too much of a gamer. He's gonna exchange with you if you want to exchange. He just him. loves to bang too much for his own good, and I think he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder about this fight. And he's just he's gonna invite exchanges that Pantoja is just probably gonna keep getting the better of, even with the technical improvements that Moreno has made. It really is about how disciplined he can be about having the kind of fight that actually favors him against Pantoja. Yeah, like Moreno landed really good shots. He landed nice body head combos where he was varying up what he did with the like the second shot. Like there was one left hook to the body, left hook to the head, and then he did a left hook to the body, left elbow to the head. It was a very left-handed performance by Moreno, which I think did not particularly serve him. But I, I don't think that's 
I, it seemed it seemed like maybe he had an arm injury or something. I don't know. It, it was just weird. But he is also always a left-handed fighter. I think he did break his right hand in this fight because he was also throwing a ton of elbows off of that side. Yeah, it, w- it would explain it. Uh, but also, it's not like he's even a right-handed monster normally. Most of his offense is from his left side anyways. No, so. but he normally still has a right hand. You he know? normally has one, yeah. He's going to build that jab into a 1-2 and then into a 1-2-3. He, he, he does normally throw it a lot more than he did. You know, I, th- I think I did hear that he broke his hand in the fight. I think in the first round as well. That That would explain it, because it was just a... It was it was almost like not a right hand absent, just a right hand lazy performance. It felt like because he he is generally left handed at least. You know his his fights tend to be mostly won with his his left hand. So at least he didn't break his jab. It it didn't affect him as much as it would other fighters. But of course you know he normally can at least throw a right straight at the end of a shot, or he has a, a decent right overhand he can counter with that was completely absent in the fight. Yeah, but it's still just like um, if you're going to keep staying in exchanges with a guy who just like hits harder than you and has an iron chin, better be as slick as Brandon Moreno thinks he is. It's a, it was a an insane fight. Uh, would you say it's one of the f- best fights of the year? Oh, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's probably like my number one or two. It drops off a little bit towards the end just because both guys are absolutely fucked, and most of the last round is just uh. Pantoja holding the back, but for at least three rounds, it's insane high pace action in every area of MMA. Yeah, you struggle to find a fight that's as exciting as that one, even though it was uh, similar to some of the other uh, flyweight bangers that we've seen in title fights recently. Where it's really good, but they're both kind of like they're not putting on a performance. Like either of them, it was it was just. Just kind of crazy violence happening with a bunch of individual tactical exchanges that were neat, more so than broader strategic changes being made. Like, I think Moreno maybe made three strategic adjustments in the entire fight, and it was like, I I broke my hand, I need to throw more jabs, and then I need to work body head because his, his defense is getting a little one note. And also throwing more and, in, in like, trying to disengage the grappling a bit more urgently. But yeah, more, more than anything, this fight just had one of the things that really defines a great classic fight, which is just both guys being completely pushed to their physical and mental limits. So it was a wonderful fight. Now onto a fight that uh, we got to eat a bit of shit on, but also I'm going to like brag a bit about because privately, as you know, I've been roasting Robert Whittaker for like years now, so I don't feel as upset about this fight as a lot of people do. Uh, but no, Dracus Duplessis knocks out Robert Whittaker. He did. I, 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 I'm totally fine with that. I'm going to let you rub the salt in, Christian, but uh, I do think Rob Whittaker's shot. Uh, I think he may be shot, but I thought he looked like himself. For the most part, but uh, I think the fact that this was able to happen just shows that he must be shot because just I've seen big athletic muscle men who have dramatically more technical depth in every area of MMA than Dreka's fucking Duplessis not be able to do anything like this to Robert Whitaker. Like, you know, you know, it's not, it's not like Rob's never been tested on, you know, for, for start, he got taken down by Dreka's Duplessis, which doesn't tend to happen to Rob Whitaker, but has happened. And, you know, he fucking scrambled like a motherfucker with Jacare and, 
Jacare is immensely physically strong and a really high quality top player and an underrated wrestler. He just got he just gets put on, he just gets headlock thrown, beat up with elbows by Drikus Duplessis. And then, you know, it's not like he's never just like blitzed into a jab and hurt gotten hurt before. Yeah, it happened against Jared Cannonier. But this is what makes me think that Rob is I'm not gonna say completely shot, but I think has to be losing a step. He's been fighting in the UFC for over 10 years. He's been in some horrible wars and been finished a few times. And for as much as people love to praise Bobby Knuckles as this brilliant technician, he does have an incredibly athletically dependent style that thrives on extremely thin margins of his absolutely dazzling speed for the weight division. Uh, both in his reflexes and how fast he's able to move and, you know, his agility for a big guy. And um, it is the kind of style where as soon as a little bit of that starts to go, it's it's going to start causing more problems in uh, fights with uh, gigantic, powerful muscle men. So, like... Um, and there's also the fact that Rob has always had a perfectly fine but not great chin and has been hurt in almost every fight he's had for a long time. Um, you know, Pretty much with the exceptions of the Vittori and the Calvin Gasol. Those fights. are the only ones. You know, he got he got had those insane wars with R- Romero, got knocked out by Israel Adesanya, got dropped by fucking Darren Till, and got hurt by Jared Cannonier. And then got dropped by dropped Izzy in again. Izzy in the second fight. Um, you know, if you if you're a guy who all of your entries against people with greater reach uh, involve you like fucking leaping across distance into blitzes, uh, people who just fucking stick their hands out are going to catch you. Um, but it was also just the fact that Rob Whitaker used to have phenomenal recovery and self-preservation skills whenever he got hurt and he just he just ran away and just got like pushed into the cage and blasted sick body shot i think uh it was a combination of multiple things i think one of course roberts like regressed a bit but i i don't think he's shot i think uh he would have recovered from getting fucked up were he in his prime, but I I don't necessarily think he would have uh, always won this fight even in his prime. He he is he is like it's hard to say someone's overrated um, in his position, but he is slightly overrated by people just loving him. I've always wanted to love him as much as everyone else does, so I can join in on the like the fun. But he is very limited tactically. It is a genuine problem at a certain point. I was talking about this with uh, Demir Izbegulov. It is a problem if your shot selection is so limited that you can actually run into fights where they're basically unwinnable uh, if you don't learn a new move, which doesn't tend to be the reason fighters lose. It tends to be an issue with you know their timing or you know they just got caught or you know they're they're they just got strategically outmatched in some regard. This was Dreykus Duplessis looking 
noticeably better than he's ever looked before. He was doing smart things to to get the fight he wants. He he started upping the pace a bit more. He was trying to find uppercuts on Rob's uh, like very pronounced dips. Rob only had like two or three techniques really that he was going for to try and get out of the way of counters whenever he would engage in the pocket with Trikus. But they weren't uh, unpredictable or anything. Like after a certain point, it was either okay. Rob's gonna get jabbed as he comes in. He's gonna get right uppercutted as he's dipping off to the inside, or uh, or he's gonna get ripped by like a a short weird left hook or elbow as he's trying to slip underneath Drake's head or Drake's lead arm. It was just really rote. He like he's he's so rote that if you continue having fights like this where you go deep into a fight uh, and and don't just go out and try and bulldoze the guy within the first couple rounds, then you're going to end up in situations where you can get hurt. You know, the the Darren Till fight, an example of him having the tools, theoretically, to, to make the fight basically unwinnable for Till. You know, say he just goes more insistently at the takedowns, or he he stays pressuring Till, which, because, you know, we've seen Robert Whitaker pressure people in, in certain circumstances uh, and, and it not be terrible. He, he still does it from the outside. Barely but, used his jab in that fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, he has deficiencies but normally you get to see him kind of navigate them through just general depth within the the narrow like shot selection that he has or like the small amount of tools that he can use but that's eventually you're going to get checked for that you're you're going to run into someone that just isn't going to let your two or three defensive maneuvers uh, to enter to enter go unpunished you're you're gonna run into a guy that just throws awkwardly enough to where you can't get a perfect gauge on his timing like you could with someone like Kelvin Gaston and Marvin Vittori who are very rote in their own rights. <laughs> Something about Drakus is that he's not very rote at all. Uh, he has kind of he has fucky enough mechanics and timing to where he's very awkward to fight for anyone. He's he's the type of fighter that could hurt functionally anyone he could fight, assuming that they're at a a rough physical parity. And in this one. Drex was larger, so he had that going for him. He also seemed notably stronger, and he has weird bursts of speed. He kind of fucks with your sense of timing and in exchanges by be- looking really slow and like plodding and sluggish, and then suddenly just fucking flinging something at you really quickly in a way that Robert Whitaker has he's always had problems with. Is the reason he got dropped by Yoel because Yoel will kind of bait you in with a, a false sense of timing and then suddenly explode at you with speed. And in, in that type of fight, you're always eventually going to see someone lose if they fight enough. You know, like, there was there was still people that were holding on that Rob would eventually beat Izzy, which is insane to me, or it's been insane to me since the, the second fight, at least. Because he's just shown he does not have the strategic or tactical depth to navigate some matchups and this is a fight where he has the the broad athleticism and and skill depth to where he could win this fight i think if he just went it if he just started the fight harder he really could have just like fucked up drakes enough to where drakes couldn't get anything going in the second round or he couldn't rally but rob was doing what he always does uh, against contenders he pretty much fights them to a decision like that that's how he's going for it if he accidentally hurts you with a head kick he'll, he'll do it but he doesn't try and set up kill shots he doesn't try and bully you with pace he doesn't impose his his offense in the way that you would hope for him to be able to it's not like now that i've seen this fight i think that it's unwinnable for rob or anything it's not like he still just didn't hit drykos a yeah. bunch yeah he, he landed a lot and he was winning the first round until he got a uh, head and arm through 
Also with Dry, because he had that surgery, so now he's getting all the oxygen he needs. Did you fucking catch this shit? No, no. People were making fucking uh, like bingo cards about if Rogan was going to mention Drakus getting surgery or not. Yeah, shit's hilarious because like before the fight, his team were all saying, "Oh, people don't even know that Drakus is only getting eighteen percent oxygen or some shit." Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. I thought it was fucking hilarious how after the fight, Drakus's first words were like, ah, can you see how heavy I'm breathing? Look how good my cardio is now. Which is like, imagine watching Drikas' earlier fights in the UFC and thinking, oh man, if this guy just had better cardio. You know, this guy has been an absolute mess who has been winning these fights because people beat the fuck out of him and then they implode because they're old middleweight. And I just can't fucking wrap my head around Drikas. Uh, just... He, he he he's just so fucking goofy and an intensely bad vibe. You know, this guy fucking not just went to a decision with Brad Tavares when Brad Tavares is like shot. Um you know, that was like a fight that was just there for Brad Tavares to take back because Drikas was just fucking imploding under the weight of his own bullshit for so much of that fight but Brad Tavares has always been just had chronic sparring syndrome and even in his prime did not fight with anything like the urgency or offensive potency to take a fight like that back from Drikas Duplessis and then Derek Brunson was absolutely styling on Drikas on the mat for a round until he gassed because Derek Brunson can't maintain his own pace anymore this guy just goes out there and just destroys Robert Whitaker. Like, uh, this sport's trash. I, I really Bobby just Knuckles think it's... shot. I, I think Drake has looked markedly better than he's ever looked before. Why? Uh, it doesn't make any sense, Christian. Because, I don't know. Like, sometimes it just takes a, a while for someone's skill set to kick in. Because he's always had weird shit. Like, the way he finds the shots. <coughs> At a certain point, it's not just luck and athleticism. He is awkward to fight. Uh, I feel like basically anyone except for, and I'm going to do a little bit of a spoiler leading into this, but I think Israel absolutely fucking obliterates him. I think it's uh, incredibly lopsided. I think it's one of Izzy's more dominant defenses, potentially. But a guy like Robert Whitaker, he's not going to be able to punish Dragas because for like the, the kind of fuckier aspects of his, his game in the way that someone with just more reach and kind of better foot speed for evading is going to. And also someone with more diverse shot selection, you know, like leg kicks, the ability to mix it up more, you know, going body head and legs, like mixing it up is a nightmare for someone like Drakus who wants to... Looking at some of his earlier fights, I'm like, all you need is a good jab to beat this guy. He sucks. His earlier fights, yeah, but he has the ability to counter like somewhat competently. He's not a counter puncher by any stretch, but... He has moves that at least make it dangerous to to step in on him with a jab repeatedly. There's, or, this, there's this weird thing where he's just so... Because like he also gave a fairly concise tactical like breakdown of the sequence that dropped Rob from his own perspective, like straight after the fight without even seeing it back. And he's done this kind of... Like, he did it after the Darren... Oh, yeah, Darren Till also f- was lighting <laughs> Drikas Duplessis up with fucking... One twos before Darren Till just head, imploded. I think in his head he's like a really good fighter. 
I, I don't mean like his perspective. I mean like I think knowledge wise, he knows how to be a really good fighter. He just his body doesn't do what he wants it to all the time. Yeah, maybe he's like a giant Brandon Royval or something. I don't know. This guy's fucking weird. Um, but yeah, anyway, I guess um, the one good thing to come out of all of this is middleweight has broken out of the dynamic that we were previously discussing where no one can beat Robert Whitaker, so you just have to be able to duck him to get title shots, and that just makes the title picture look fucking stupid. Idrikis Duplessis off of this win streak 100% has earned a title shot at middleweight. Um, uh, I would argue that the other great thing to come from this fight is that post-fight uh, interview, which was the, some of the funniest shit I've ever seen. A lot of people were saying they didn't like it or they thought it was embarrassing. I thought that shit was gold. Uh, Adesanya, one, saying the N-word 11 times to a dude that has been saying a bunch of really fucking racially charged bullshit at Adesanya just out of his own ignorance. Uh, and then also Adesanya saying he doesn't need a 36 in me or a 26 in me, despite the fact that the actual thing is a 23 in me. He was just, he just was drunk as shit. He started slurring his words towards the end of it. You could tell he was just belligerent drunk. Which is the best Adesanya, apparently, for selling a fight, because I've never wanted to watch an Adesanya title defense more in my life. Yeah, I mean, hopefully this just ends up being the Polo Costa thing again. We have motivated Adesanya, who wants to fuck up a guy that was saying some weird, like, historically uh, inaccurate, rude shit to him. Yeah, but I don't, you know, I like, don't know uh, if that's the energy that actually brings good fights out of Adesanya. He is weird and inconsistent about when he'll actually go out and try and fuck someone up. Uh, I, I want to believe that this is one of those fights, but it also would be cosmically fucking hilarious if Drikas Duplessis became a uh, middleweight champion. The way I think of it, and this isn't even like analysis at this point, it's just like a, like a general... Uh, like pattern recognition. It seems like the fights that get Adesanya to come out and really try and end someone's career, like he did with Paulo Costa, uh, or like the first Rob fight, it's when he's genuinely upset at someone. Like, you know, the second Rob fight, it seemed like he'd cooled down on him a lot. Marvin Vittori, Marvin's just too dumb and wasn't actually saying inflammatory shit. He just wanted to win because Vittori's kind of annoying. Uh, and Romero, he wasn't on bad terms with Romero. And also Romero's a lot different of a fight than Drakus Duplessis. So, it's something where I think that Adesanya is going to see things that he can exploit in the fight, and I think he's going to take him seriously enough to where he's he's going to get a great performance. That, and also, he had, like, the best performance of his, his title fight career against uh, Alex Pereira in his last fight. Like, that was the best Adesanya I've seen in forever. So, there's no reason to believe he's regressed at all, and there's plenty of reason to think that he really wants to win this fight, and it's very important to him and his, his legacy that he wins against some South African dude that's saying that he isn't African anymore. Uh, it, it just seems like that's the type of thing that will piss Adesanya enough, off enough to get a good performance out of him. So, uh, moving on, Dan Hooker isn't shot. Uh, this was a fucking awesome fight, and uh, I'm a little bit disappointed in myself for kind of shotness hedging on it because I feel like I almost hit upon the reasons to pick Dan Hooker in this fight and that I kind of in some ways expected him to be the more comfortable one about 
navigating the size dynamic in this matchup, even though he is the one at a height and reach disadvantage. It's just Jalen Turner is used to having even more of a height and reach advantage than he had against Dan Hooker. Like, this is one of the only fights I can think of seeing Jalen Turner in where his opponent can actually just jab with him at his own range. And that was fucking massive for Dan Hooker in this fight. The fact that Dan Hooker was constantly just able to drive Jalen Turner out of the pocket and just keep chasing him. And that Jalen Turner is, you know, he has really nice shot selection and he puts his offense together very well, particularly when he can just fuck people up at a distance that they just can't even touch him. But he's just not really ready for what's coming back at him. Um, you know, this, this fight kind of reminded me of um, a slightly less bananas version of like Cub Swanson versus Korean Super. I get, I get what you're saying. Someone who's huge and really fast and like really offensively dynamic, but like I say, just isn't ready for what's coming back and a savvy veteran just chases him around, punching him in the head. I was actually very impressed by uh, one Hooker's tattoos. It seems like a uh, new style knew him. You know, he 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 fought kind of the same things he always does, but he was just a lot more insistent about it. And he looked like he looked very composed. He looked like a veteran for the first time, in my opinion. I think the rest of his fights has kind of been, oh, I'm just a, a I'm a younger guy that's just more experienced than the other young guys I'm fighting. Or he's too inexperienced for the like guys like Dustin Poirier or or you know Michael Chandler. I, I thought Nasrat Hakparast was his first like veteran performance. I I also I think that falls under the like I'm a young guy just fighting someone that's less good than me, so I'm trying to look mature. This one genuinely looked like an incredibly mature performance to me. Um, he was very insistent about jabbing between Jalen's punches. Jalen would step in with something and then want to throw, like really just be throwing the first strike so that he can land the second strike and just eat a stiff jab to the mouth. And then Hooker would kind of skirt around on the outside. It was the best Hooker's jabs ever looked. He was kind of matching Jalen Turner's front kicks with his own front kicks. He was using very smart range tools. He wasn't trying to get into the pocket as much as most people were expecting him, I think. He was just confident enough that he could win the range battle as well. When he got hurt, he showed fucking veteran savvy out his, out the wazoo. He was doing really well to just make himself an annoying target to hit for someone that kind of needs really pretty exchanges to look good, like Jalen Turner does. That's an issue that I, I do have with Turner after this fight. Not like like morally or anything. Like I, he's still a very fun fighter to watch, but I I don't like how pretty the exchanges need to look for him to have the good success that he wants to. He, looking back at his uh, really nice finishing sequences in his uh, prospect career, he he, uh, he really needs his opponent to be getting cracked and also react a certain way that he wants them to react every time. Well, he just needs for a him stationary target that won't hit him back like fucking Jamie Malone. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll offer spots that he can attack, like really open body shots or, you know, just dropping their guard to block their body, uh, make themselves available to body kicks really easily without any threat of taking him down off of it. He just needs a fighter that has less annoying of a style to try and finish against the Dan Hooker, as well as this being the most durable fighter that he's fought by far. 
or at least at lightweight. You know, like this is a, a fight where he's fighting someone that has the durability to eat basically everything that he has coming back at him and still keep firing back and he's not going to get cowed by someone just throwing hard or, or being long. And that was pretty much what it came down to for me looking at this fight is I just didn't think Dan Hooker had the chin to still have this kind of fight. No, he's fine, apparently. <laughs> like, no, he's got he's going to have a little career resurgence now that he has three tattoos. Ate a head kick in the second round. It was fine. That was, on replay, one of the cleanest head kicks I've seen in fucking forever. Clean connection. Jalen Turner just, I think he just doesn't have our great mechanics on his high kicks. No, yeah. But, like, placement-wise, it was, like, in-step right to the fucking jaw. Oh, yeah. No, if, if, if he just had a more, like, eye-style high kick where he really turns the hip over into it, then I think he might have just finished Dan Hooker with that kick. Yeah, so it's a... Kind of the perfect fight of its type where the the older fighter looks like he still has some left in the tank and is able to have good fights after this. And Jalen Turner looks perfectly decent, and he kind of needed this fight, I think. Yeah, I think he's going to learn some stuff from this fight. I think he's still getting better fight to fight. I think he's going to get noticeably better after this fight. He seems like the type of fighter that needs uh, a loss like this where he learns that what he is doing is not enough. Yeah, because he, he needs like, more. Dan Hooker was the first opponent who was really able to be this kind of foil for Jalen Turner. Yeah, like, I think that Jalen Turner very kind of clearly won against uh, Mateusz Gamrat. So, I don't think that fight really taught him very much, or if he did try and take lessons from it, they weren't necessarily the lessons that he needed to get better, just because of how weird the matchup is. Like, I, I there the most he could take from the Mateusz Gamrat fight is, oh, I just don't get taken down, whoop-de-fucking-do, like... Because he was he was winning on the feet so easily, and even then he still probably should have won, even though he was getting wrestled. Uh, but this fight, he actually got beaten on the feet for large portions. And he had good success, but he couldn't polish off his opponent because his mechanics leave a, a lot to be desired if his opponent doesn't offer really clean exchanges. His also, also shot selection gets more rote the, the less rote his opponent's defense is. Also, anecdotally, I think I think it's just funny that the way he got his tattoos was he got a back tattoo, and then he was like, well, this looks uneven, so I gotta go get two more tattoos real quick, and then he just got two leg tattoos, and he went from having no tattoos and having his natural hair color to coming back bleach blonde with three sick tattoos, and then putting on the best performance of the last, like, five years of his career. J- just very interesting, like... <laughs> No, normally, if someone does does all these changes, it's like, oh, fuck, he's having a midlife crisis. He's going to get wiped this fight. But no, he, he looked really good. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of Dan Hooker. I like him more now than I've ever liked him, which is hard to do this late into your career when you've already had a really good career. Also, did you hear that uh, Dan Hooker got offered a Tony Ferguson fight and he was just like, how dare you? Big respect for not taking... Like the opportunity to just dust the ghost of Tony Ferguson and fighting a really fucking dangerous guy who's coming up. Yeah, and, and this fight definitely got him uh, a more likely to get a good fight in his next couple than beating Tony would have. I feel like Tony as a win is kind of depreciated enough to where now if you beat him, they're just going to give you like I, I don't know. They give him a fight with <laughs> with uh, Grant Dawson. Yeah, Grant Dawson. I, I was thinking more Matt Fr- Frivola. 
They like they'd be like, oh, just fight fucking Matt Rivola. If you get sparked, then uh, you're a better win now because you have Tony on your record. But if you don't, then what do you fucking do? Like you finally actually beat someone good. Yeah, I think uh, maybe like Dan Hooker versus Renato Moicano next. Sounds lovely to me. Uh, kind of fitting. Uh, basically, two large featherweights fighting. So sound like a banger. Okay, uh, Bo Nickel uh, beat the fuck out of uh, Valentin Woodburn, who has an awesome name, by the way. He is. He also. He's just like a small guy for the weight. That was that was like a complete mismatch. But nothing bad. No insult to Woodburn. Like I think he's a perfectly decent fighter. It's just you know, Bo Nickel. There's no tape on him for watching his striking, and he's very athletic, and his hands are a lot faster than you would expect them to be. Yeah, I mean, this fight doesn't really mean anything. But it honestly means about as much as uh, a fight against Trayshawn Gore would have. Um, I think it probably means more since Trayshawn Gore has shown that he's, like, wrestleable. <laughs> he probably would have gotten knocked out too, though. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I don't know really what you do with Bo Nickel right now because um, he's clearly extremely talented, but he's not really having to show anything. Um, so I'm like, what kind of fights do you even give this guy now that he's in the UFC and they're putting him on UFC pay-per-view main cards, which I, I mean, but Bo Nickel, you know, he, he's a, he's a great prospect. He's talented as fuck. He's exciting, but he's, this, this isn't a main card fight. I don't know. I think if you give him someone that's actually like closer to being ranked, like if you give him mere shark, you know, fuck it, give that, give that fight a main event on a fight. I would like to see him fight Gerald Mearshart. Yeah, because that's dangerous enough to where he could get uh, <coughs> punished for not being the most experienced striker. But he could also uh, just we could like learn just learn a lot about him because Mearshart is the type of guy that would get kind of wiped out by this type of prospect. But also uh, on the like he's equal chances the the type of fighter that if you give this type of prospect to they'll get gillied off of getting rocked by a check hook. Boy Nichols still looked a little green in certain aspects of like uh, extended grappling against Jamie Pickett. Uh, you know, if he's just against a really savvy, like deep grappler who, if you hang around with him on the ground, he's going to find some sneaky shit against you eventually. That's genuinely an interesting matchup, but it, it is also the kind of fight that Bo Nickel could, you know, he could just do what uh, Chemayev did and it would be like, okay, Still doesn't really teach us anything about this guy, but how is he supposed to have fights where he's able to develop and show the breadth of his game if he keeps fighting these guys that he can just instantly wipe out? Well, we also haven't seen how he handles uh, like ground and pound coming at him or like offense coming back at him from bottom position. We've only seen him just wipe people out that he can sub comfortably or people that he maybe has to cook a little bit to find a sub. But Mearshart's the guy. He'll he'll get some elbows out on you. Like th- That's a very different thing to be going against, and we have seen absolutely nothing of, of his ability to handle like a, a layered threat f- coming from coming at him in the grappling. Like, we've seen him against people with good jiu-jitsu, you know, like he had the grappling match against Gordon Ryan. Uh, we've seen him, like, easily wrestle people that have no business even trying to grapple with him. But we haven't seen someone that can, you know, wrestle a little bit, uh, has good jiu-jitsu, and can actually do some MMA-specific offense at him. Or even just sweep and, like, upkick him, you know? Southpaw with a jab. 
Yeah, a southpaw too. Like we we just we just haven't seen him fight someone that has a a game yet. He's, he's fought people that are as inexperienced in MMA as he is. You know, he'll he'll probably just fight like Cedricus Dumas or something. Oh, that's a that's fucking insulting. <laughs> it's probably the kind of thing they'll do though. Yeah, <laughs> I could see them giving him that fight. They could give him a fight against like. Honestly, just get Brad Tavares already. Yeah, like that's a fight that he he almost definitely wins very comfortably, but it's enough to where he'll he'll learn something. He'll get a little bit better. Okay, moving on to the sickest shit on the card. Once I saw this, I was like, I'm not even going to be sad if Bobby Knuckles gets wiped because uh, Robbie Lawler just went out there and a fucking waxed Nico Price. Uh, you know, didn't get hit, did he? Didn't have much time to. I mean, you know, we were saying if he could just, if he could have one round of the kind of fights that he just had against Nick Diaz and Brian Barbarena, then he was going to finish Nico Price in that round. It turned out he only needed, he only needed thirty seconds of that, thirty-eight seconds, just got into the clinch with Nico Price, grabbed a collar tie, and just whacked him like five times and folded Nico Price like a fucking deck chair. It was fucking awesome was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It was maybe the best like retirement victory in MMA history. It was awesome. Yeah, I you know, we are both very emotional men when it comes to MMA. We we tend to pick with our hearts a lot of the time. This one we were both pretty sure like Robbie just fucking got this. How are people what like why are people shitting on Robbie so much acting like he's just gonna get dusted by Nico Price as if Nico Price is this like hot up and coming prospects. Still. Brian Barbarain is actually he's, good. He's got he's got like hand speed yeah. and can throw in combination. <laughs> yeah, and he's durable as shit. Like Nico Price is generally durable, but he's not like the type of durable that can withstand shots from Robbie Lawler in the way that we've seen Brian Barbarain take a ton of shots from tons of different people. Uh, he's also he's just not like a layered technician at all. Like Nico Price is. Uh, Kind of like, like if Drake Duplessis just had considerably less speed and wasn't strong. He, he, he's the type of fighter that if you were going to ask me if Robbie Lawler can flawless him in a, like a one in ten out of their fights, I'd be like, oh yeah, he totally could flawless him. You just like not get hit and then kill him with a, a counter shot. And then he, he did that. He, uh, he started the fight, you know, kind of baiting some exchanges, like showing his lead hand. He ducked under, a a counter shot from Nico. Then they got really in close, and uh, he started ripping like fucking hockey punches at him, as uh, our, our boy Francis was saying. Uh, he just hockey punched him and landed uh, five strikes consecutively, and then Nico Price just crumbled the second that he let go of the collar tie. Uh, it was gorgeous. And then they did a a really nice and actually like like thoughtful uh, like promo package for him and. and you see him crying in the fight or crying after the fight. Yeah. They never do this shit, but you know, but they, they knew that Robbie was a guy that they had to make exception for. Cause what a fucking guy, what a legend of the sport, sensationally exciting action fighter and a brilliant technician. Um, by all accounts, a stoic and humble gentleman outside of the cage. Uh, yeah, it was amazing to, you know, get this moment and then get that big retrospective of Robbie Lawler's whole career. Um, he he's a beautiful man. Yeah, one thing I'll I'll say, I actually just as like a, a comment on on how much I love Robbie uh, after this because I've always loved him, but this one kind of 
it, it really touched me. People are saying that he's stoic. For me, he's always been kind of the opposite. Like, he wears his heart on his sleeve, and people treat anger like it's not an emotion. He is a fucking ferocious fighter that shows how much he wants to fuck you up in nearly every fight. I, I don't see how he's a... Uh, outside of the cage, he's, he's generally more stoic. But I think he's more just, like, calm than he is stoic. Because he, he'll say sh- the most fucking heinous, violent shit possible. He'll be like, I'm going to take his soul. I, I'm going to execute this man. And people are like, oh, how stoic. Because he said it he politely. He just never gets mad at the press conference. You know, he is a fighter that he'll always go out and do his absolute best. He has not had a single fight where he, he like capitulated or really like let himself lose ever he's always gone out and tried to like murder his opponent he's an innovator he's shown what you can do with defense in mma in a way that i know it off the top of my head it really has like i mean aldo but aldo has a very different defensive style that is honestly less consistent uh robbie lawler has a, a defensive style that works against basically everyone uh i, I can't think of any fighters off the top of my head that would really pride for prime make him look bad on the feet he is so difficult to it's so difficult to track down his head and land clean shots on him in exchanges he's one of the most dangerous power punchers in the sports history he's a very like composed and and smart counter puncher and he he has enough uh defense towards all aspects of mma he's just very well-rounded to where you you really can't find a head-to-head matchup that makes him look bad so you know, he's, he's a legend. Uh, he's maybe the the fighter out of the, the last several years that I've been the saddest to see go. Because he could still stay around for a while and have crazy good fights for the next, like, four years. There's just no point. You know, he, he's past it. He's he's had a wonderful career, and this was, like, a storybook ending for it. Went out and got the first knockout he's gotten uh, in a, a long time that was, like, actually just putting someone cold it was also the, i think the first round finish he's gotten in uh, 10 years so i brought that statistic. that is insane it was incredible dude it was incredible dude made me so happy made me so- it was lovely he he just kind of went out and and had a flawless performance in his, his last fight out god bless you nico price <laughs> yeah something good about that for nico price is that no one went at him for this like oh wow nico price didn't show up he got fucking wiped uh, people are just too happy for Robbie to really care, yeah, so I don't even think cares. this is going to affect the rest of Nico Price's career. It's just, oh yeah, he's the guy that gave Robbie Lawler like the best career end anyone's ever had. This could have been Robbie Lawler knocking out CM Punk. I would be just as happy right now. Pretty much. Oh, they should do that. No, just just get Robbie out of there. This was perfect. There's nothing that needs to be added. Please, Robbie, don't do BKB. Don't go to BKFC. Don't, don't, don't do it. Please, please don't don't fight the the let's bang bro guy or I, let me bang bro guy. I, please don't. I don't want to see you fight Eddie Alvarez like for fucking Mike Perry. Just no. Please don't fight Luke Rockhold. <laughs> Couldn't ask for a better ending than this. Okay, um, Tatsuya Tyra got by the short notice replacement guy. Was kind of rough. He got the job done. It is what it is. Yeah, he looked fine. Uh, I saw people criticizing him a lot, but to me it was just uh, Shares being better than you would expect him to be. Uh, he, he's really dangerous. He's a kind of a stylistic large problem for Tetsuro Tyra. Also, being at 130 is just kind of weird, like the because the the fight was rescheduled slightly. 
it was supposed to fi- happen last week and then it happens this week. So it, it just, you know, random shit that can make a fighter a little bit off. I thought Tyra didn't, sh- he didn't show that he's not going to be anything coming up in the way a lot of people are acting. You know, he was preparing for Clades and Rodriguez. It, it is what it is. Yeah. Good performance. Sick finish Just by Denise Gomes. Went out and fucking waxed uh, Yasmin Haragui. Pretty wacky. No, I don't think anyone's really been rating Denise Gomes' performances in the UFC so far. And Yasmin Haragui has been looking, uh, if nothing else, like a really cool, exciting action fighter with some neat tools on the feet. Um, you know, she did get dinged by Estela Nunes, but Estela Nunes is a pretty good kickboxer. She's just tiny and can't wrestle. And then Denise Gomes just went out and fucking wiped her out in 20 seconds, blasted her with a big old right hand while uh, Harakui was overthrown and left her, just killed her. I was saying like 30 seconds before the fight with people I was watching it with that, uh, oh yeah, Denise Gomes is actually like, she's, she's, I don't see why she's such a large underdog. She's pretty dangerous. And uh, Harakui is, is like somewhat hittable. But, you know, her guy's probably going to win. And and then she just gets fucking dinged super fucking cleanly by a right hand in uh, the opening exchange. And then uh, Gomes is just really dangerous and is good at following up after she hurts someone. Uh, she, she's a fun prospect to have around. I feel like people were sleeping on her a bit too much. Yeah, I think it's probably just because she got styled on by Loma Lukbomi in her UFC debut. But, you know, Loma's good. Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like in theory the best kickboxer in the division. Uh, Alonzo Menafield guillotine Jimmy Crute. That was funny. Fight was stupid. Yeah, Jimmy Crute is uh, kind of a dead prospect for the time being. I feel like we should wait on him to show something before people keep trying to act like he's gonna be something. Oh, just just you wait, just you wait, just you wait. He's young. He's young. People keep saying, but he's he's twenty seven. He's made no improvements in the striking in the last like four years. So. No, he's still fighting like a guy who was way more athletic than every light heavyweight he was fighting on the Australian regional circuit. And that just doesn't cut it at the UFC level of the light heavyweight division, which is completely built on wacky dynamism and speed and explosivity. Uh, you know, Jimmy Crew, he, he, needs, he needs some veteran savvy. Yeah, he needs to be able to throw a kick without looking terrified yeah um he, he just does not look composed at all he is uh he is there to get hit anytime he throws a kick he's there to get hit anytime he enters he's there to get hit anytime he is really just within range of his opponent he is he has terrible defense his grappling is a little bit too scrappy for me like he he doesn't have the the ability to just sub anyone he gets in a grappling exchange with, like he treats himself as. He really does have a thing where he is just so convinced he's the grappler in every matchup that he'll just throw himself into wacky grappling exchanges where he gets himself tapped. Then, yeah, you know, a bunch more finishes happened on this card. Yeah, Vitor Petrino um, looked mid, but subbed Martin Pracnio because Martin Pracnio looked hesitant and kind of diff- like uncomfortable with the size disparity cameron simon he beat up his short notice replacement guy yeah just kind of wiped them out fine uh jesus aguilar uh knocked shannon ross into the fucking shadow realm he just did the the overhand that michael johnson always gets hit with and it was that knockout yeah and the esteban rubovics fought camuela kirk and it was a sick banger it was the a good opening to the card 
I didn't actually catch that one. It, it was probably the second or third best fight of the night. Oh. Well, there you go. What a card. Um, well, fuck me. Are we going to talk about Holly Home real quick? Yeah. Uh, looking at it right now, there's there's very little to, to even mention. Uh, uh, Melsic Bagdasari versus Tucker Lutz is kind of fun. Yeah, you know, the Iron Turtle's fun. He's fighting Albert Derive in the co-main event. Like, whatever. Uh, I guess just some quick thoughts on the main event. Um, uh, Myra Silva dog walkable. And Holly Holm has looked bad in her last several fights, so she might not even have it in her to dog walk anyone that can uh, stay on her in exchanges anymore. Uh, yeah, that is pretty much it, because uh, this is in many ways just a rerun of the Caitlin Vieira fight in uh, just large, slow-footed violence person, um, which is a fight that you would generally pick Holly Holm to win because... She has a ton of technical issues, but more, they are more pronounced when she's actually forced to come forward and when people just really want to close the distance on her. She is just uh, very consistent and responsible about keeping her feet moving, keeping her distance, and walking people onto left straights and knee stomps, and she has a good left kick that she can do from long range. Um, she did lose to Ketlin Vieira. Uh, I thought perfectly fairly. Um, I'm, I'm going to pick Myra Buena Silva by head kick. Uh, she she's dangerous enough to where I'm gonna I'm gonna pick her. In, in yeah, this I, one, d- I do generally think of Myra Buena Silva as being more of a kind of insistent and offensively potent version of the general style archetype that I would put her and Caitlin Vieira in. Um, you know, she's. She's more opportunistic and more capable of capitalizing on uh, single tactical lapses in her opponent's performances. You know, uh, I think she's a lot more likely to just submit Holly home if she gets a good position on her. I think club and sub is a, is a real possibility. Yeah, she's yeah she's a way better kicker than uh, than Caitlin Vieira. Um. Kind of just yeah. Does Holly Holm have it left in the tank to have these kind of performances? Was she like forty three, forty four now? About it with as uh, short as we're being on the fight. I am actually kind of excited to see how it, it how it turns out. Uh, Holly Holm, she has it in her still to do the Irene Aldana performance, but at this point, I think we've just learned Irene Aldana is she's just gonna get fucking like boxed up if someone moves backwards whereas my Buena Silva she's likely to kick on exits you know at least try some stuff try and find a way into stepping with a left hook she's got a really good chin uh she's pretty powerful I, I she just as she says she's Charles Oliveira she is Dubronx <laughs> so it's really are we picking Holly Holm to beat Charles Oliveira no so I'm gonna say my Buena Silva by first few round KO. But also, it's five rounds. That that gives uh, Buena Silva a lot of opportunity to get attrition off. Holly Holm, though she mostly does like prodding, kind of just stabby attacks, she's not much of an attrition fighter. She, I, I can't think of a fight where she, you know, systematically fucks someone up in, into a late finish, aside from the Ronda Rousey fight where it got speed ran because Ronda Rousey is the most hittable person when coming forward in divisional history almost. Yeah, she was just running into Holly Holmes' left hand repeatedly and not capable of doing anything with the collisions. Uh, and even then, she she still rocked Holly with like a, a 
fucky overhand just by being aggressive. And Mayabuena has pretty much exactly that win condition as well as like 10 other ones. So I think the attrition battle gets won by Mayabuena, but you know, equal possibility that uh, Holly Holm just kind of clinches Myra against the fence and gets knee in the body but still wins because she's holding Myra against the fence. Myra's also smaller than uh, most people that Holly tends to have this type of matchup against. So we could see if uh, Bueno Silva's speed can get through. Yeah, I guess I always thought of her as like big and slow uh, flyweight, but she actually like has some speed about him, right? Yeah, she can crack. She she has good shot selection. She's dangerous with uh, basically any range she's in. She can fuck you up in the clinch. She can sub you if you end up in a, a weird scramble. She, her hands are good enough to hurt you, especially with the way Holly Holm sets her feet. But, you know, of course, I'm, I'm not going to disregard that Holly Holm could just dog walk her because Holly Holm is... Uh, Maybe the most consistent woman in the sport at dog walking someone that is slow footed. Can't really think of anyone that she's fought in this matchup archetype that she's lost to. The Cat Vera is the closest, but Catlin's also way more experienced and has a a lot different of a striking style, even if there's some similarities on on a surface level. Yeah, I'd say there's like Valentina Shevchenko as well, but uh you know, Holly Home, she is just the fighter in this division who does this. Um, I don't know why the, the UFC keeps making these matchups where you give your slow footed violence people to Holly Holm in order to try and get them like a name value win. But it's like, you can just like give Mara Bueno Silva other matchups where she'll just like, just beat the fuck out, out for opponent and then just get a title shot. If she wins this fight, then, uh, especially if she wins by finish, then she gets a title shot pretty much guaranteed. Uh, probably against yeah, Juliana pick Pena. Myra Bueno Silva over Juliana Pena like that. Mm-hmm. So, weird situation where we could be seeing Myra Bueno Silva in a title shot coming up soon, and she could honestly win against anyone, I think. Mm hmm. The, the title is right there for the taking. And we've been high on my Bruno Silva for a while, so I hope she wins this fight. Uh, even if I am picking her to win it by Holly Holm being old, that's just the circle of life. That's fine. Yeah, if I if I had to make a top ten for uh, active fighters right now, I think my might actually crack the top ten. She is Charles Dubrox. She is Charles Dubrox. Island as hell. She has good athletic upside, and uh, she's funny. <laughs> it doesn't take much to get my top ten anymore. But okay, that's about it for the card. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed this content, all the other great stuff the Fight Site puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where a pledge of just $5 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical content, as well as a great uh, community through Discord. Uh, this has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. I guess we'll fucking be here next week talking about the Holly Home dog walking Myra Bueno Silva. I'm talking about this London card coming up. It's kind of whack, but it's okay. It's, you know, it's it's, uh, it's got some stuff on it. Well, whatever. Yeah. It's great being back in the in the rhythm of doing podcasts. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys then. Peace. Later.